listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. So let's read in the Word of God tonight in Haggai chapter uh, 1. I'm just going to read the first two verses. Um, may the Lord bless His Word to our hearts. Haggai 1, verse 1, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Josedek the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, the time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Amen. May God give us the grace to understand and rightly apply his words to your souls uh, tonight. Uh, let me remind you at the outset that these opening verses demonstrate the gracious way that God intervenes in our troubles the people of God at this time are not fulfilling the will of God, the Word of God, and yet God does not uh, shun them at this point, but rather brings a word of counsel to their hearts. Uh, the announcement of this book emphasizes the work of God in human history. And we see references to, to real individuals, a real king, Darius the king. History, of course, continues under the superintendence of God at all times, but there are unique scenes in human history where God steps in and intervenes in a remarkable fashion and all things change. We long for such days, days when there is darkness, declension, disobedience. We do long for God to step in and the Word of God to come with renewed power. We are not looking for a new word. We have the completed scriptures, but it is our desire, our burden, that God would come with freshness, that the word of God would come with unique and unusual power in our day. And so we come at this point and we see that God is intervening in the life of his people, and he's going to use the ministry of the prophet Haggai along with Zechariah. Remember, Haggai and Zechariah are speaking to those who are returning from captivity. And there was the Babylonian captivity, and following that, there is the return under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah and Ezra. And to these returning souls, Haggai and Zechariah come. And so these verses, they sit in a particular historical context, which leads us to ask the question, why would the people speak as they do in verse number two? Why would the people say, the time is not come? What will be behind such a mindset? Well, we actually, we don't get an awful lot of detail in Haggai, but we get the details and the answers to the question why in the book of Ezra. And so tonight, I want you to turn back to Ezra, please. And we're going to spend most of our time considering some of the principles found in the opening chapters of Ezra. And so I want to review this. I'm not going to expound the, the entire section of God's Word, but anyway, I do want to review Ezra chapter 1 through 4. And so have your Bibles, and we'll move very quickly, and I'm going to outline this uh, using several words, all beginning with D. Uh, and so let's look at these various Ds in Ezra. First of all, Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, there is the decree, the decree that comes from Cyrus, king of Persia. 
In Cyrus's decree, he makes proclamation, and he says in verse number two, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. So here's the decree. We, we know the story. Cyrus gives a decree. Um, beyond the decree, there is the assurance of help. It is a remarkable time in human history that an ungodly ruler would work in such a way for the good of God's people. Such a thing is possible even today. That the ungodly, they are in the hands of God, and they can do remarkable things in God's will for the good of his people and for the glory of his name. Please always live in hope in difficult days. The decree is given, which follows is followed by determination. Ezra chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, there is determination. Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin, the priests of Levites, and with all them, and they go to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. Here's, here's determination. And they strengthened their hands. They were going to get to work. And so you've got decree, you've got determination. Then verses 7 through 10, you have donations. There's donations from Cyrus and there's others who, and they give donations to enable the work of God to go forward. Verse number 11 of the chapter ends, all these did Sheshbazar bring up with them of the captivity that were brought up from Babylon unto Jerusalem. Uh, just in passing, when God's work is being done in God's way, it never lacks God's supplies. Again, that's always, it's a commonly announced principle, but we remind ourselves of it again today. God is always able to supply the needs. It's impossible. A captive people, they're going to go and build a massive temple. How can it be so? Because God will supply every need, often in ways that we do not expect. And so there are these donations that come. Then, uh, following in chapter 2, there's a list of the various uh, people involved in this. There's a uh, denomination of all the various individuals. But let's skip that and go to chapter 3. And you will see in chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, uh, there is this matter of devotion. There is devotion. And the seventh month was come, and the children of Israel were in the cities. The people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. A couple of things happened. There's a, a restoration of spiritual worship. There's a, a building again of the altar, putting the altar upon the bases. There's a sacrifice unto God. There's a, a getting back to God. How important that is, because when we're involved in the work of God, we, we must be in the work of God with our hearts towards God. Remembering we come by way of sacrifice, we come by the way of the cross. And in this time of devotion, there's spiritual devotion, the foundations of the temple are also built. Verse number 10 of chapter 3, And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple, Here's the foundations being laid. They're going to they're rebuild the house of God. This is a time of great devotion. The people of God who are engaged in worship are also engaged in action. Again, this is another general principle we see in these verses, that those who worship God and come to praise the name of God and pray to God, they're also busy with their hands for the Lord. They're not a distant people. They're industrious they're not those who are sitting in monasteries away off from the world, but they're getting involved in announcing the work of God to others. They're, they're diligent in all of their labors. But this time of devotion was accompanied by a twofold experience. There was a mixture of distress and delight in chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. 
And there are those who are delighted. They're delighted at what God is doing. There's, there's a, a shout aloud for joy amongst many in verse number 12. But yet there's also weeping. There are those who had seen the first house and they realized that the foundation of uh, this first house was nothing to what Solomon's house was like. And so there is this challenge in the heart of man. And that again, is another common experience. We, we find ourselves delighting in what God is doing in our day. And yet we, at the same point, we remind ourselves, oh, God did greater things in bygone days. And so we struggle and we rest with these things. Chapter 4 then leads into a period of persecution. There is disapproval of the work, there is danger, and there is deceit. And all of this, it all leads to chapter 4 and the verse number 24, where it says, Then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And so having reviewed all of that, you get to this really tragic conclusion at this point in history. Then ceased the work of the house of God. But praise God, it's only the conclusion of chapter 4. Because God is going to intervene. And so Haggai chapter 1, verse number 2, we saw it last time, sitting at this point at the end of chapter 4, beginning of chapter 5, Ezra, Haggai chapter 1, verse number 2, when the people say, the time is not come. That's in this setting. It's in this particular historical context. So we then ask a question. What is it that causes the work of God to stall? What is it that causes the work of God to stall in Ezra and Haggai's day? And what is it that might cause the work of God to stall in our day? There's nothing new under the sun. And as we look at this matter together, we will see that there are very clear parallels with things in our own day. First of all, the work of God will stall when there is a wrong response to persecution. You see, chapter 4 is all about opposition to the work of God. And it seems that the response of the people to the opposition was to say, well, the Lord in providence has determined that this is not the right time. Listen to their language very carefully. They do not say it is too difficult to work. It's problematic. They say it's just not the time. And I'm suggesting to you that it may well have been the case, and this is to some degree conjecture, but it may well have been the case that they come to the conclusion that providentially the door is shut for the work to continue. And so they set it aside for a time. Well, we'll get back to it, but right now is not the right time. The time has not come. You see, look at chapter 4 of Ezra in the verse number 21. Ezra 4, in the verse number 21, this is one that responds to the kings, to, the, to the, the, the letters that we'll see in a minute or two. And you have there, Give ye now commandment to cause these men to cease, and that the city be not builded until another commandment shall be given from me. Well, here you go. You've got a word from the king. Wait, there'll be another command coming. So just, just hold fire for now. Just stop what you're doing right now. Because it's just not the time to proceed. We understand the testimony of Scripture is very, very clear. That God's blessing is often accompanied by and followed by opposition. Opposition does not mean that in providence God is saying to stop the work. 
Opposition comes because the work is going forward. You consider the book of Acts. Pentecost is followed by the trial of Peter and John, the trouble with Ananias and Sapphira, the complaints about the widows, the death of Stephen. <laughs> How many times could they have said to themselves, it's not the time to preach. It's the time to stop. This is not a good time to preach the gospel. They may easily have said that the disciples are scattered. Saul is breathing out threatenings. Surely this is not the time to proceed in gospel ministry. But we understand that it was the will of God. When God comes in blessing, opposition and persecution inevitably follow. We know that. You think of a, a portion prophetically like Revelation chapter 12, where you have the account of the, the woman and the dragon. Revelation 12, number 13 says, And when the dragon saw that it was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which was brought forth the man-child. The woman refers to the church, the man-child Christ. And Christ goes to glory for a season. We're living in such a time, and the dragon is persecuting the woman. There is trouble in the church of Christ. And the dragon, verse 17, was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Trouble comes, and we should expect opposition. And so in Ezra chapter 4, we see this opposition in two ways. We see it, first of all, in the way of compromise. Verse number 2, that's how they begin to cause their adversaries. Verse number 1 of Ezra 4. And then verse number two, what the adversaries do? Then they came to Zerubbabel and the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Let us build with ye, for we seek your God as ye do. And so the desire was to compromise. But they are not in any way trying to help the work of God. They are determined to hinder the work of God. And so they're siding alongside Zerubbabel to, to get into the work, but not to bless it, but to curse it. These are days in which we must reaffirm the determination for separation. People who seem to work along similar lines, perhaps we agree on social issues or other matters, but ultimately the end point is different and they will hinder our witness. Ecumenism over the grounds of social matters will render the gospel ineffective. They will say, come and let us build with you. We'll work with you, but ultimately, ultimately it will hinder the witness of God. And so this opposition comes, and we are reminded again that ecumenism is so dangerous. As a liberal Protestantism with unclear views of the gospel and a lack of reverence for the word of God as inspired and inerrant. Why can't we work with others? Because we must only work with the Lord's people. We must only engage ourselves in pursuing the gospel with those who know the Lord. Not those who are against us, but those who are for us. And how do we know they're for us? Because Christ is their King. He is their Lord. He is their Master. And they serve Christ. And as they serve Christ, so we serve Christ. But as long as they do not serve Christ, then we have no business working with them in the things of the gospel. And so there is that mentality. We must be careful in, light, in, in days of persecution, that we do not fall into the error of compromise. There is a second way in which uh, persecution comes at this time, and it is by way of conspiracy. There are letters and lies that fall. I'm not going to read. You can read the verse yourselves when you, when you go home, but you'll see letters and lies that are told to hinder the word of God. You get verse number 12 of chapter 4. Be it known to the king that the Jews which came up 
What are they doing? Well, they are going to build a rebellious and a bad city. That's what it says. And they're saying that if they build this city, they will not pay toll, tribute, and custom, and they will then damage the revenue of the kings. So they're, they're telling lies and falsehoods. They're suggesting these, these Jews are going to be seditious. They're going to be rebellious. And such, of course, was not true. There are lies that are told about the church of Christ. And such lies, sometimes from within the church and sometimes from without, can hinder the work. And trouble can stop people committing themselves to the work of God. That is a wrong response. Haggai rebukes the mindset. And we're going to see chapter 5, Haggai comes and brings the word of God and the work recommences. And so if they are saying in Haggai chapter 1, the time has not come, the time that the house should be built, Haggai said, no, that is not the right response to this season of persecution. Like those in Revelation 12, they must overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they must not love their lives unto death. And the application, I think, is very, very obvious. Seasons of persecution ought not cause us to conclude that this is not the time to preach the gospel. And though there may be challenges that will arise if we are faithful to Christ in meeting together and preaching Christ, we must do so because the Word of God demands it. And though persecution may arise, we must not conclude that persecution is a sign of God's providential stopping of His work. Care must be taken in these things. But there is a second way, a second reason, uh, whereby they have uh, stalled in the work of God, and that is a forgetfulness or perhaps an ignorance of the purposes of God. Ezra chapter 1 and verse 1 makes mention of the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. All that was taking place in Ezra here is happening according to the word of God. Jeremiah 29 verse 10, Thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good work toward you in causing you to return to this place. In fact, Isaiah, Cyrus is mentioned as the one who will build the temple. This is the very word of God. Daniel knew the promise, Daniel chapter 9, and he prays over the promise. And so the events of Ezra's day are happening according to the very word and purposes of God. Therefore, it is the time to build. They're saying it's not the time to build, but God's word is being fulfilled. Of course, it's the time to build. And they've been forgetful or ignorant of the purposes of God. You see, in the, in the gospel age, there will never, ever be a time when we can say it is not time to evangelize the world. Such a time cannot exist. There will never be a time when the church is told to stop preaching Christ. Because we are told in the Word of God that all the time until Christ returns is a time for the preaching of the evangel. And therefore, it's always the will of God for the Word of God in the preaching of the gospel to go forward. There's never a time when it must stop. The word of promise has to be fulfilled. Christ is going to lose none of his. He is going to see the travel of his soul, and he is going to be satisfied. And he, he does that through the preaching of the word. Now, we, have, we have so many sure words of promises regarding the gospel. Promises to pray over, to preach over. God cannot fail to keep his word, and we must argue the purposes of God. 
It's so important that God's people are in the Word. There's a reason why there's gospel sluggardliness in this present day. And in part it is because people are ignorant of the promises of God. And they've lost sight of the purposes of God. They're not in the Word of God very much at all. And therefore, they're not being reminded time and time again of their promises. They dip here and there into the Word, but they don't see the big picture of Christ building His church. And so when you get a people ignorant of the Word, ignorant of the promises, then they are quick to put down the tools and say, it is not time. It's time for us to retreat to our homes, do our own thing, but not to do the work of God. Thirdly, the work of God can stall in the third place because of unbelief regarding the power of God. This is what's happening here. Trouble comes, chapter 4 of Ezra. The work of God stalls. And there is unbelief, ultimately, read the ability of God to overcome more troubles. Now, I say that because of what happens in chapter 5. Chapter 5, the word of God comes through Haggai and through Zechariah. And they bring the word of God in the name of the God of Israel. And the result of the word is the work of God begins again. Um, by the way, it's another time that we can prove that it was indeed not the time to stop the work of God. The word of God comes and they start again. In other words, the Word of God is that which comes and says, it's time to build, it's time to get back to building the house of God. But when you see in verse number 5 of chapter 5 of Ezra, you, you see a reference here, but the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews that they could not cause them to cease. What is it that's bringing the work of God forward? Well, here it's described as the eye of their God. Not the hand of God or the arm of God, but the eye of God. And it reminds us, I think, of Second Chronicles chapter 16 in the days of Asa, where it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. God's eye beholds his people. And walking in the fear of God, we know the power of God and we keep on in the work of God. That's how things go. And so we will, we will succumb to spiritual laziness in the work of God when we forget that it is the power of God that keeps us going. And so we hold on to the promise. It is the eyes of the Lord that run to and fro to show himself strong. God shows himself strong in the work of God. Fourthly, and we'll come back to this in some more detail later on, a fourth reason whereby the work of God stalls is because of misplaced priorities in the work of God. The people of God in every generation struggle with a desire for their own comfort over the glory of God. That's how the Lord brings the rebuke in verse number 4 of Haggai chapter 1, where the word of God comes, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? The Lord brings this rebuke. Now, by the way, it wasn't wrong for them to build houses. They were told to go back and rebuild the city. That included their houses. But what's happening here is they've, they've misplaced their priority. And we must acknowledge that the Lord's work stalls when we put our comfort before our consecration, where there is an unwillingness to put ourselves out in the work of God. That we will do what we can do so long as it does not affect our schedules or our comfort. That if we can do the work of God and give some time to the work of God, but let's not put ourselves out in any fashion. Uh, we'll give one day a week for the Lord's work, or one part of one day. But we're not going to do anything that may cause us discomfort. 
Fear of man might creep in upon us, and hence we will neglect opportunity to speak for the Saviour. Now other duties have their place. It is right to work. It is right to keep families. It is right to promote such these things in the, in the will of God. But when the work of God stalls because of these things, then we misplace our priorities. The work of God, seek first the kingdom of God. And so ultimately, as we think of this, all of these reasons, there's persecution, they forgot the purpose of God, they've succumbed to unbelief regarding the power of God, they've misplaced their priorities in the work of God. But ultimately, it all comes down to disobedience to the precept of God. That's the key thing. One commentator says this, claiming that it was not time to rebuild the temple indicates awareness of God's command to rebuild. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? They're saying, it's not time. They don't say, we're not to build. They say, it's not the time to build. So they know the command of God. And tragically, there are many in the work of God, and they understand the commands of God for them personally, for their families, and for the church. They know the commands of God, but they say, this is not the time for me to do the commands of God. That comes down to a matter of disobedience. The commentator says this, the opposition caused them to reinterpret God's will rather than obeying by faith. They reinterpreted the will of God, and sight prevailed over faith. How insightful this is. What a warning this brings to our own hearts and to our own churches. We see the troubles and discouragements, and our response must simply be that we trust and obey. It is our work as a church to pray and preach the gospel, to worship the name of God, no matter the prevailing climate around us. It is time for us to continue in the work of the gospel ministry. So help us, may the Lord help us to trust Him and to obey His word for His name's sake. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.